Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts on the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Oh, yeah, baby. Groovy. Oh my God. Do I make you horny? <laughs> I'm the girl that gets horny. Hello, and welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name is Caitlin Durante. My name is Jamie Loftos. And we have a podcast about the representation of women in movies. And we use the Bechdel test as a jumping off point. Uh, and that, of course, is a media metric created by cartoonist Alison Bechdel, sometimes called the Bechdel Wallace test. And it requires that two female identifying characters with names talk to each other about something other than a man can we test it really quick yeah baby okay this question will maybe not seem immediately relevant but maybe we'll a little later in the show okay hey caitlin yeah jamie have you seen bombshell <laughs> uh yes i have seen bombshell and i know what the connection is but i won't spoil it interesting <laughs> It passes. Yes, yes. So today's movie is not about Bombshell. Today's movie is about a man, an international man of mystery, if you will. Um, we're covering the Austin Powers movie, focusing on the first one, although I embarrassingly watched the entire trilogy and have some things to say. But <laughs> Caitlin, why... 
did you do that? We're in a Let's quarantine. We, I have, what else am I going to do? Here's the thing. I feel like bad movies in the quarantine, we still, we don't have to watch them. That's true. <laughs> I do. I mean, I'm excited to talk about it though. Cause I, I, it's my general understanding and vague knowledge that they get worse as they go on. Is that true? Yes, I definitely think the third one is the worst one, although right. none of them are good. <laughs> no, I mean, none of them are. Well, especially especially for our purposes, uh, they're bad, 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 bad. Yeah. Spoiler alert. But as I was doing some reading, I was uh, reading through the plots. I was like, oh, these do seem to uh, to slip from a slippery place in the first place. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, we've got a guest. You know her, you love her. A quarantine guest. She's all quarred out. <laughs> <laughs> she is a comedian. She's the host of Let's Go Otsko, which is a weekly podcast and also sometimes a live show when we're not in a quarantine. And you remember her from our Shrek episode, Never Forget Shrek. It's Otsko Okatsuka. <sighs> Hi, why do you keep giving me Mike Myers? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it fun? It's, it's We just did Wayne's World or we would have brought you on to do that one next. Dang. <laughs> well, we're not doing Love Gurus, so hard to hard to know what else we're going to do. <laughs> Thanks for letting me miss out on that one. <laughs> I don't I don't get it. I I thought it was me for the longest time with Mike Myers. For the longest time, it was I was like, it's me. It's 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 because I didn't grow up here. It's because I don't get American humor. You know, something's wrong with me. But no, no, it's something's wrong with Mike Myers, and something's wrong with the culture. Yeah, <laughs> because there, there's just so many movies. There's so many pop culture things that you just grow up with, like in elementary school, like everyone doing at one point, like suck it, you know, from wrestling, or like everyone doing. <laughs> You know, like a Jim Carrey voice, everyone doing fucking baby from, you know, uh, what we're about to talk about. What's that movie called? Austin Powers. <laughs> and me being like, I, I, I never laughed. I never even gave like a nice, you know, being being polite kind of laugh to it. So I'm glad you made you had me rewatch re it. <laughs> yes. Sorry. I think you bring the freshest possible perspective, and also we're so sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. <laughs> I, it's good to review what you know human beings were capable of doing and the progress that we've made. <laughs> exactly. What's your experience with the Austin Powers? I mean, this movie, but the franchise in general. I think I watched it once, like a long time ago. I remember seeing vague, like. I remember seeing clips of like the one Beyonce was in, mm -hmm. whichever one that was. Gold member. Gold member. Yeah. Caitlin's like, I watched it yesterday. That's right. <laughs> Caitlin also recently watched both National Treasures. Oh, yes. Ooh. Which actually sounds like it was a more fun task than this, right? It was for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, God bless National Treasure. I'm going to need to see that map. <laughs> that's That's my only impression of... Nicholas Cage. Spot on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, back to Austin Powers. Jamie, what's your relationship with the franchise? I have not really much of a relationship with this franchise. I'd never seen this first movie. I have no love or attachment to 
Uh, not to brat, I have no love or attachment to this era of SNL and like all the over the top 90s guys. I just, it's never, I wasn't there really for it or I was like too young for it. And mm-hmm. then I, it just has never done anything for me. I did see Goldmember at a drive through with my cousins because I really liked Beyonce. And I remember it being one of the first movies I'd ever seen that like as a kid, you're like, this movie is not good. You know, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a jarring. You feel like a of like an intellectual master because you're like, wait, every it's like that John Mulaney sketch where it's like every movie is the best movie a kid has ever seen. This was maybe <laughs> my first movie where I'm like, this was not my favorite movie, and just like the first time I actively remember like recognizing that Beyonce deserved better. Um, so. <laughs> I have no attachment to this franchise. I don't really give a fuck about Mike Myers outside of Shrek, and uh, that's on me. So, <laughs> Caitlin, what's your history with this franchise? I embarrassingly used to love these movies. No shame. Thank you. I saw the first two when they came out. So when I was 11 in... 1997, and the first Austin Powers movie came out. You were out. like the demo. Like I was the demo. Yeah. And then... <laughs> The second one came out two years later. I was 13. I still did not have very refined taste in cinema. So I also (laughs) loved that movie. By the time the third one came out, I feel like I had outgrown the franchise. And I did not see that one ever until I watched it like two days ago. But I saw the first two multiple times. I used to quote them constantly my mom and I to each other would say um how about no Scott like 20 (laughs) times a day these were a big part of my you know tween years I guess yeah I I didn't even realize that Seth Green is in this movie I did he's in every like he's my boss and I was like oh He's in every movie that came out in this like span of five years, and it's so funny. Like they're, I the Doctor Evil Scott scenes they work for me still for the most part. Yeah, there there's some funny stuff there, and ultimately, I mean, and that for me like ticks the box of all movies, which is that ultimately this is a movie about fathers and sons and how they yes. relate to each other, and so this movie is no exception. He might have been the only one that was close to how the viewers are feeling. Yeah. yeah. His character, his character (laughs) being like the outside voice being like, you suck. I hate you. Yeah. You know, I do love that scene where he's like, why don't you just shoot him? Like what? What?" Like, that's pretty funny. I resented this movie for making me laugh a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I did an LOL once. I, I I just I still didn't get it i was just like why and why three why three is a good question you know what i mean that that's just so much money it's so 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 much money and um i know i get it it's very quotable i can see it it's very catchy you know it's very like the brand they know the brand very Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. but yeah i i wasn't i wasn't mad i was more just like i don't get it i didn't and I, i didn't get like the ace venturas and stuff so Again, maybe I it's me. I still don't get Ace of Ventura to be honest. I don't get yikes. it. Yikes. Yeah. I don't get Mask. I don't know. Well, like, I, I grew up on a lot of slapstick, you know? But it was, um, when it came to, like, Western slapstick, it was like, I Love Lucy, you know, Charlie Chaplin, like, you know, things that were, like, 100 years old. <laughs> but 
even with like Japanese comedy, you know, the slapstick, I feel like it, it was still like sticking to the old formula. So it was more reminiscent of like Charlie Chaplin type or yeah. Buster Keaton instead of, you know, whatever, like, like wacky for wacky sake. You Do know? I make and, you horny, baby? <laughs> yeah. A lot of Me Too situations, you know. <laughs> it was also like. I don't know. It's like, even if like I hadn't seen this movie, but as I was watching it, like I just, it was so huge that like, I feel like I had taken up a lot of it through cultural osmosis. And then most of the details that I didn't know were, um, you know, horrifying. Yeah. Can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> I do remember. I wonder if any listeners will remember there was an AIM chat bot that was Austin Powers themed that oh, I think mm-hmm. it was released as a promotion for the third movie. But I was in like, I don't know, like maybe fourth or fifth grade. And I was at a sleepover all night where like me and the other girls at the sleepover would write like dirty things to the Austin Powers chat. <laughs> and his it would just auto reply. Yeah, baby. And we'd be like, <laughs> you'd be like you'd be like, my mom is a biatch. And it would be like shagadelic <laughs> classic i remember that right it was I a remember, thing yeah i liked chatbots they always knew their character it was always consistent it was the only consistent thing about the internet at that time mm-hmm. you know was <laughs> chatbots would always like say three things in yeah. rotation exactly everything else was scary you didn't even know when you would connect to the internet you know oh yeah it could take hours you don't know yeah yeah totally but that <laughs> you could count on speaking of austin powers themed things have either of you been to that austin powers themed pop-up bar in glendale that is still there like over a year later no i've i've almost gone a couple times and then i'm like wait i don't know what that is i'm not gonna go what Austin Powers themed bar in Glendale? Ugh. What? I've never heard this. <laughs> this is a real thing. It was supposed to be a pop-up, but it I guess it was popular enough that people just kept going and that it stayed around. Obviously, it's closed now because of all the lockdowns and everything, but it's called like the Electric Pussycat or something, and it's themed after the club in the first movie called the Electric Psychedelic Pussycat Swingers Club. And I went to it and they have various Austin Powers, like actors dressed up as Austin Powers characters. Uh, they have a bunch of Austin Powers themed cocktails. Um, I think I drank one called like horny something, something horny. I don't know. <laughs> horny something. <laughs> Shag something. But apparently Austin Powers is still relevant enough that people were like yeah let's make a pop-up bar in 2019 for sure i mean it's like all those movies i've been to i guess the embarrassing pop-up bars i've been to were beetlejuice themed because i wanted to see what the scab sitch was uh, of, course. of course yeah no that's scabs. fun that that was fun <laughs> and then i went to a uh Big Lebowski themed bar many years ago where they only served white Russians, which is a funny idea, but in practice, very gross. Right. <laughs> they, they have one in Iceland for Big Lebowski. They do? Oh, fun. Uh, yeah. My friend went to it in Reykjavik and it was like white Russians too. Um, huh. It's so funny to see like what other cultures like really like about like, you know, which movies really spoke to them or whatever to the point they make a whole themed bar like that um 
I okay one time I did have to do like a benefit where they hired a bunch of like actors who could dance so like we had to dress up in like groovy wear or whatever 60s like we were like what is that go-go girls yeah oh yeah, yeah we yeah. had to learn dance moves and it was like rich people that we were performing for too it was like Austin Powers theme <laughs> and uh so an Austin Powers impersonator kind of led us the whole time and I remember at the end of the gig, we got like 20 bucks for doing it. I remember at the end of the gig, I was like talking to the impersonator and he was like, okay, well, I got to go. And he, he, he valeted his car, but he had the same exact car as Austin Powers too. Oh my God. <laughs> and my mind being blown. <laughs> and yeah, his license plate was off. It was like swingers, like 12 or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. but yeah not all spelled out yeah but i was like oh my god the level of commitment as an (laughs) impersonator you know like how far does it go i love a a good committed impersonator there's nothing like him in the world yeah and how do you feel as an impersonator about other impersonators you know of like the character that you do yeah how intense is the competition how intense is the demand i mean you don't really know yeah i don't know Well, should we get into the recap and go from there? I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. Okay, so the film opens. It's 1967. We meet Dr. Evil. He (laughs) has a very cute cat named Mr. Bigglesworth. And that cat, of course, has eight nipples. And that's Catfax with Caitlin. Swish. He is trying to have uh, Dr. Evil, not Mr. Bigglesworth. Dr. Evil (laughs) is trying to have Britain's top secret agent assassinated. And this man is Austin Powers. Mm. And Austin is groovy. He's Randy. All the women love him. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> He's horny, baby. He's and groovy he makes... and Randy? Yes. Oh, <laughs> He's horny and he makes everyone else horny, I guess. Um, okay. <laughs> all the women love him. He meets up with Mrs. Kensington, his like spy partner. And they receive a message from Basil Exposition. Um, hilarious, I guess. That is pretty, that's, I mean, that's pretty funny. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The message says that Dr. Evil plans to go after Austin Powers at the club tonight. So Austin and Mrs. Kensington try to stop Dr. Evil there, but he gets away and then cryogenically freezes himself and shoots himself into space. Right. We cut to 30 years later, 1997, and Dr. Evil returns, and Austin Powers had also offered to freeze himself if Dr. Evil should ever return, so they thaw out Austin Powers and partner him up with Mrs. Kensington's daughter, Miss Kensington, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. Vanessa, a.k.a. Elizabeth Hurley. Right. He proceeds to sexually harass her <laughs> relentlessly in almost but every scene Caitlin, after that. But Caitlin, <laughs> yes. it's cute. It's hilarious. You can tell that sexual harassment is actually really awesome when he does it for two straight minutes and then she turns around and is like, <laughs> <laughs> right. She's like, oh, maybe I do like that. Ah, he's wearing me down. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, 
Dr. Evil and his cronies, including this guy named Number Two. Who? And then this is the point in the movie where you're like, what happened to Natalie Wood? Uh, wait, what, what? Why? Was he because, involved? Yes, he was Natalie Wood's husband, and <gasps> he was on the boat, and he knows more than he's saying, even more than Christopher Walken does. Whoa. Whoa. Interesting. Every movie to me is ultimately about what happened to Natalie Wood. <laughs> this is why you all have this podcast. This is why you do so good. That's what we've been trying to figure out this whole time, and we have not gotten any closer. Um, so that's what I, but yes, he plays number two, but also he's, he's, you know, you can see in his eyes, he's got a secret or want his one eye. Right. So his character number two and Dr. Evil, they all are forming a plan to hijack some nuclear weapons and hold the world ransom for $100 billion. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry for that. Then Dr. Evil is introduced to his son, that was made from the sperm sample that he had left behind before he cryogenically freezes himself. And this son is Scott. uh, And that's Seth Green's character, of course. Then Austin Powers and Vanessa go to Vegas to try to get some intel on Dr. Evil and whatever scheme he's cooking up. And they play blackjack with number two, And then there's a scene in the bathroom where we realize that the character was named number two to set up a very long extended poop joke. With, um, what's his name? Tom Arnold. Yes, he is in the stall next to him. And we're like, all right, well, I guess you can't say they didn't think about things when they were making the movie. There's actually quite a bit of thought (laughs) it's actually all very clever and good wink wink nudge nudge to it the jokes had to come first they were like okay poop joke how do we make this work with the rest of the plot you know yeah Mm -hmm. then they like reverse engineer it (laughs) totally totally this is what i want a poop joke and okay well his name's number two that's it we solved it (laughs) i guess it wasn't a lot of thinking possibly it was (laughs) Cut it, print it. Uh, I mean, screenwriting at its best. Uh (laughs) So then nothing happens for a while, except that Austin Powers relentlessly and repeatedly sexually harasses Vanessa, Mm -hmm. which she seems to become more and more receptive to. And then Austin Powers is tasked with getting information about something called Project Vulcan from a character named Alada Vagina. And now we're like... Now this, now that's what I call feminism, volume 1997. (laughs) Oh boy. There, for, I mean, this, I don't, this isn't a compliment. It's just an observation. There's far more women in this movie than I expected there to be. That's very true. But that is where, that's where it's, that's where it ends. (laughs) it's not like and the representation is incredible there's more female characters than i thought there'd be well and we're we're coming to some of them including one of uh, dr evil's hench people hench women oh (laughs) women can be hench now yes women can be hench and that's feminism yes hench go (laughs) she's so evil she could hang out with the boys yeah, yeah, it's real big Sheryl Sandberg energy. And this is, of course, Frau Farbissena, played by Mindy Sterling, who mm-hmm. is amazing. She's been in like 
everything ever. She's like one of the great character actors. Yes. IMO. Indeed. I wonder, I bet, I bet, I would bet five quarantine bucks. Ooh. (laughs) 500. 100 100 billion dollars. Quarantine (laughs) bucks that Mindy Sterling and Alfred Molina know each other. Oh. Like I bet all character actors know each other and they're all friends and this is maybe just my fantasy world but I feel like they know each other no I think that's true I I want to believe that as well yeah so anyway feminist icon Frau Farbissena uh, <laughs> unveils her latest weapon because she's a woman in STEM and she developed the fembots they are these killer robots who look like hot women. So even more women introduced into the narrative. More women. This is, I feel like that was a pretty, to me, it was like a very cut and dry, like Barbarella parody reference. Which I have not seen, but I Is it just, it's fembots to. and they attack? Barbarella uh, somehow portrays women even worse. It's like one of Jane Fonda's <laughs> earliest movies. Jane Fonda, oh. who tru- who truly is a feminist icon, but mm-hmm. she, you know, she she really grew into it and maybe wasn't all the way there at Barbarella. Uh, but like, yeah, it's a movie about like a, a sexy space android lady. I mean, it's not satire, but it <laughs> looks like it. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. And at least we can give credit to Austin Powers for that, is that they, they are satire, I think. Oh, I don't know. I can't tell. It's definitely <laughs> satire, but I feel like it makes that like thing that some like satires do where they just are like, oh, well, we're just going to say it's satire, and then we're going to assume that we're absolved of anything, right. even to the term of like... Satire theoretically is supposed to make commentary, which yeah. for Austin Powers, that's shaky. Well, that's why I don't think it is satire. I think it just is closer to parody, parody. which is not making any sort of commentary. There's like one angle that I feel like it could be considered satire. And then, but as as it pertains to its treatment of women, I think it's like total parody. Oh, for sure. Sure. So what happens next is Austin and Vanessa sneak into Virtucon, which is Dr. Evil's company or something. And they, (laughs) but they are captured and brought to Dr. Evil's secret lair. Mm -hmm. And he's about to use this giant drill to burrow to the Earth's center and release his nuclear weapons. He's fracking. That's right. He's like RuPaul. He's fracking. (laughs) Wait, is RuPaul pro-fracking? RuPaul literally... Okay, I'm just breaking (gasps) all sorts of news. RuPaul and his husband own a large ranch in Wyoming where there is active fracking. Oh, shit. And he... He just like said it recently out of nowhere on fucking fresh air. He was just like, he described fracking in the longest way. He's like, well, we contract out some of the land for purposes related to petroleum based sub. And you're like, it's fracking. He's fracking. <laughs> oh my God. Oh no. We can't have anything in this world. RuPaul's literally no. fracking. He's like a Republican, isn't he? I feel like all rich people just are chaotic evil and like. <laughs> We right. can't have anything. <sighs> well, speaking of evil, Dr. Evil. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> hey, anytime. He tries to kill Austin and Vanessa with mutated sea bass, but it doesn't work. And they escape. 
and Vanessa goes to find help and Austin stays behind to go find Dr. Evil and he comes across this group of fembots who try to seduce and kill him but he starts dancing around and making them so horny (laughs) that they all malfunction and explode. Meanwhile, Dr. Evil starts his drill up and Austin and Vanessa burst in and they stop him, but Dr. Evil gets away, shoots himself back out into space, and then Austin and Vanessa have to escape the lair right before it self-destructs. And then we cut to three months later, Austin and Vanessa have gotten married, and Dr. Evil and his cat are in space, and they're all cold, and he's like, I'm gonna get you, Austin Powers. And then they're like, all right, there's gonna be a sequel, I guess. (sighs) I guess. I guess. No way around it. Mm -mm. So that's the end of the movie. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come right back. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Uh, Feminism in Austin Powers. Where... (laughs) Do we begin? I mean, just some quick observations off the off the top. We've got Will Ferrell in brown face in the first Uh-oh. several minutes of this movie, and I and I believe that this is not the only time that Will Ferrell is seen in brown face. I think that there is also an SNL sketch where he uh, did that again. 
<sighs> which is like uh, uh. you're not talking about the the Native American one, the Thanksgiving one recently or no? I oh no, there's more. No, I wasn't thinking of that one. Wait, let me pull up the one I was thinking of. Okay, well the one I'm talking about, they are they try they acknowledge it. They try to be like different about it. It was just this past Thanksgiving. Oh, uh, okay. Then I then that's probably what that was a response to was the fact that he had done brownface um, in like the early 2000s, like probably around or after this movie came out. Makes sense. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was, um, you know, there's self-awareness going on. That's the thing about 2019, 2020, you know, self-awareness mm. and uh, fear of canceled <laughs> cancellations. <laughs> I sure. was like, is it is it growth or is it fear? You know, <laughs> sometimes. Totally. Thin line. You saying brownface made me think about also the UN characters, which were just like very, it's a small world type. Um, like the. Oh, yeah. Uh, right? The German guy literally, I think, had a kilt on and maybe a bagpipe. Oh, the, yeah, the Scottish guy. And then there, yeah, there's. Oh, some, Scottish. Like... I'm so sorry, not Germany. I'm getting all of it. <laughs> Here I am being racist. <laughs> there's a lot of broad stereotypes in every possible way in this movie where, like, I think that Frau, uh, what's her name, Mindy Sterling, is almost supposed to be like this stern, like, Nazi ish German woman. Right, right. right. So there's definitely a lot of broad stereotypes at play, but, like, ugh. And then in the. UN scene that you're talking about Otsko when they cut to like the group of people and there's I mean there's only like it seems like 20 different countries represented yeah, yeah but yeah. one of them did you notice the people that they have there to represent Japan yeah she's like they sent a geisha <laughs> yes there's a geisha right. and then a sumo wrestler and those are like oh, the that's two right. <laughs> <laughs> that trend continues believe it or not into the sequels where seems like Japan specifically, I don't know if Mike Myers or the director or someone has a fixation on Japanese culture and it gets referred to more and more and increasingly more racist jokes are made in the sequels. There's one in particular about Japanese twin sisters in the third movie that is just excruciating to watch. I mean, and like this, I mean, this entire generation of SNL men are guilty of this thing i mean we see will ferrell in this movie mike myers the love guru i mean say no more that whole pr the Ooh. premise is right. racist dana carvey is in Brownface and the master of disguise five years after this like it's bigger than mike myers but he's a big offender of it too especially in a movie that is like so painfully white that it's like you really had to put will ferrell in brown face like yeah it just right. yeah it couldn't be but but no one thought anything of it in night like to the point where Wolf Ferrell did brownface again. Mm -hmm. No, totally. Yeah, I mean, I did laugh for a second when you mentioned the sumo wrestler again, and I had to track the laugh. Like, am I laughing because it was funny, or was it because I don't know? I mean, I think you have to take a step further if it's like parody or satire or whatever. Maybe I don't know the difference between the ling the language. Um, well, actually, parody is more like if you don't necessarily have a comment, right? It's more like, I'm doing a similar yeah. version. Does it remind you of that thing? Uh, and then satire is like actual like possible social commentary behind what right. you're making. Uh, okay, yes. cool. So I do know the definitions. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> sometimes I don't know. I mean, this isn't my first language. Um, but uh, 
like if they took it a step further and like the people representing the UN was like I don't know like a literal like sushi fish or something you know what I mean mm. and like uh, maybe that's not funny that that's why I, I would never be hired in the writing room for you know uh, Austin Powers but well that's a compliment to you as well yeah <laughs> I'm just like oh what if it was just a, a little little bagpipe you know and that was Scotland's uh, leader I don't know this is bad so anyway there's no way I can fix the movie either so what am I talking about <laughs> Well, speaking of the whole satire and and parody thing, so obviously the Austin Powers trilogy is a parody of a few different things, it seems, but it seems to be primarily the James Bond franchise, um, especially the earlier ones from the 60s and 70s. And this is a franchise that is ripe for satire and parody, but Austin Powers is not really doing anything to meaningfully comment or critique this franchise. It's really just portraying a lot of the same problematic tropes that the Bond franchise does, Mm -hmm. especially as we already hinted at when it comes to female characters. There's no, you know, intelligent commentary happening. Uh, There's no meaningful subversions of, of anything. It's just like, and hey, remember how horribly the Bond films treated women? Let's do the same exact thing 30 years later. Yay. Yeah, that, well, that's the thing. Is that, Yeah, I, I think that the, the one point that I could see this movie attempting parody on is the masculinity aspect of, of these characters that mm-hmm. I feel like Austin Powers himself in some ways is somewhat satirical with, and it's not like smart satire or even good satire, but I think mm-hmm. that the fact that like they make references to like, oh, he's this like ladies man that you s- would see in the 70s. And we didn't, none of us grew up with this. So it's kind of like, we're basing this on sort of secondhand knowledge, but that's who he's based on, like a James Bond type of, like a character like that. And then to give him like, oh, he he uses a penis pump or like, somehow sexually like quote-unquote impotent um i feel like that's at least an attempt at some satire of saying like oh well maybe these hyper masculine characters were not as like that's an unrealistic standard Mm -hmm. i don't think it's done smartly but that's that was the place where i saw like an attempt right but then but even so a lot of the a lot of the movie undermines that where it's hard to make the argument that like oh like Austin Powers is this like unconventional looking sex icon, but he still only surrounds himself with like young, conventionally hot white girls. So like you can't really give the movie any credit for that because it doesn't extend the same the same for women mm-hmm. in any way where even like it's so it it is wildly ridiculous to me and doesn't seem based in satire at all, just like what the writing is that we only see like Austin Powers' partner originally in the 70s is Vanessa's mother. And theoretically, like, I I feel like a better version of this movie is to, like, see her come back and them have to, like, reconnect as she has, like, aged. She's had a family. She's, like, done all this stuff. And then she has to, like, reconnect with this guy she used to work with in the 70s. Like, that is more interesting to me than like, and now she's got a hot daughter and (laughs) the mother and daughter are going to bond over 
both inexplicably liking this guy. Like, I just, <laughs> I was, it, I thought it really sucked that they just completely wrote Vanessa's mother out immediately. Like, that just. Yeah. The only, the only through line was that Austin possibly fucked her too. It sounds right. like he definitely did. And that he loved her. Yeah. He like really loved right. her. It was like a weird, it's like a weird Mrs. Robinson kind of like, yeah, I, I loved her, but she's not available anymore. But then they drop that entirely. And he's like, well, I guess I'm just in love with her daughter now. And you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're different. Like they, I mean, I feel like the, the logic of the movie extends as far as like mothers and daughters are pretty much the same person, which is. <laughs> Which is like, okay, that's a new level of not writing a female character. It's just being like, well, they're related. So like you can actually have sex with either and it's basically the same thing. And they have (laughs) the same jobs and they have the same spy partner. Like they, you know, they do everything the same. The only thing was different was, I guess that, you know, the mom was married to someone else. Oh, it's it's just so like lazy and just bizarre. I mean, and that like reinforces the whole like way that this movie views women which is that if they're over a certain age or they don't look a certain way then there's no point in having them on screen yeah but the guy got to keep his hots because he was frozen (laughs) or whatever but he's not even hot like it's just like uh, I, yeah. I feel like men men are allowed to look a lot like it's it almost reminds me of like what we see in animation a lot because this is a very cartoony movie of like mm-hmm. male characters are allowed to look a lot of different ways and there's different body types and there's you know, like Mike yeah. Myers has more body diversity in this movie than <laughs> all of the female characters like it's just <laughs> it's very true that, well the only thing he was body shamed about was his teeth and he got to fix that at the end he did and um but and he still got the girl so like i I don't feel bad it's uh, he felt bad about his teeth one time right yeah um (laughs) (laughs) but i do you also i also don't remember and correct me if i'm wrong but the moment where vanessa did flip and she's like i do like him what happened that was confusing to me as well. Okay. Yeah, I, I have this whole thing beat by beat kind of mapped out um, because it barely makes sense. But here's very what I abrupt. could... Yeah. The story beats as they relate to Miss Kensington. So she's introduced with a very male gaze, panning shot, starting at her feet, slow pan up her entire figure, objectifying to the extreme. Austin Powers then sexually harasses her for a few minutes. She finally says, like, do me a favor and stop calling me baby. You can address me as Agent Kensington. Except she's going to backtrack on it in two seconds. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Because he's like, oh, come on. And she's like, all right, then Vanessa, you can call me Vanessa. Mm -hmm. So then we cut to a scene on Austin's private jet. And this conversation is very frustrating. And it goes like this. Austin says, how does a hot chick like you end up working at the Ministry of Defense? And she's like, well, I went to Oxford and I excelled in several subjects. I ended up specializing in foreign languages. I really wanted to travel, you know, see the world. He interrupts her and he says, that's fascinating, Vanessa. Listen, why don't we go in the back and shag? Yeah. Amazing. Hilarious. Uh, She says, no, please concentrate on the mission. Like, give your libido a rest. And then he's like, okay, well, let me show you something. And he beckons her over to his bed. 
then he kind of springs this whole thing on her where he's like, do I make you horny, baby? Do I make you randy? Blah, blah, blah. Um, he pretends to like fall on top of her. She's like screaming and being like, get off me, get away. She then jumps up and says, I will never have sex with you, Mr. Powers, ever. If you were the last man on earth and I was the last woman on earth and the future of the human race depended on our having sex simply for procreation, I would still not have sex with you. And he's like, meh. But then the scene ends with her like kind of giggling at him and his antics. Oh, and he, and an it's infuriating just, shot. It's like, yeah. I guess foreshadowing of what's to come, which is him wearing her down and her changing her mind. Mm. So a little bit later, they arrive at a hotel in Vegas. And again, Austin Powers is like, when are you going to have sex with me? And she's like, stop it. And he's like, oh, I was just kidding. I'm just trying to get a rise out of you. And then she's like, oh, you. And it's like, no, he is like sexually harassing you within an inch of your life right now. Like, right. Uh. Well, that was yeah, that was like something that really stood out to me of like a major failing of the movie where I, I read um, was it was a GQ piece that came out on the 20th anniversary. So like three years ago, it came out and the. um let me see. The author of the piece made, I think, a pretty like smart comparison. A writer named Tom Phillip, who's great. Um, he draws a line from Austin Powers to MacGruber and basically says that MacGruber succeeds as a satire where Austin Powers fails because MacGruber, if I mean, I, I like that movie a lot. It, it like at least holds the character accountable for fucking up at least some of the time where Austin mm-hmm. Powers, it's almost like a boomer uncle attitude towards him where they're like, well, he doesn't understand. So it's fine. We, he can't be held accountable for his actions because he doesn't understand what things are like in 1997. Right. And, and, and that like the movie does not extend the logic any further where like Vanessa has to forgive him for these things because he doesn't get it. And like, there's no onus on Austin Powers to have to grow as a person. Right, exactly. Except to accept monogamy into his life. That's the one thing he has to do. Right, and that comes pretty much next, where the next major thing that happens between them is um, we see Vanessa on the phone with her mom, who also does not seem to have really aged at all in 30 years. So, like, even though she would be 30 years older, like, she's not visibly 30 years older because heaven forbid we have a woman like in her 60s on screen right (laughs) Um, and when we do have a woman in her 60s on screen it's basil exposition's mother and And she gets punched in the face face. she gets called a man yeah there's so much god i'm just being reminded of so much that was so upsetting Because just to sidetrack a little bit, there's that moment in the beginning of the movie where like they're still in like 67, they're in that club and there's a woman who approaches Austin Powers and he punches her in the face and everyone's like, oh my God, what just happened? And then it cuts to this woman is now suddenly a man and, you know, Austin Powers pulls the wig off and it's like, see, he was a man. He's trying to kill me. which is i mean what the like that's horrible obviously and then the same thing happens later in the movie except this time he just thought that an older woman was a man punches this woman in the face 
And then everyone's like, oh, my God, why did you punch Basil's mother? And he's like, oh, I thought she was a man. That's the worst part is it's a callback. It's uh, anyway. So Vanessa is talking to her mother. She says something like, oh, wow, I can't believe you were able to resist Austin Powers charms like you should want to have sex with him because he's the most charming man alive. And Vanessa's like, um, I don't see it. I don't know what you're talking about. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. then there's a very quick scene where they're actually doing some work they're trying to find dr evil but it lasts for like 30 seconds and then suddenly austin powers is like wow you're so beautiful i'm gonna take you out for a night on the town and then we cut to this like romantic date that they're on they're drinking champagne (laughs) burt Bacharach is serenading them they're dancing cut to them playing twister in their hotel room and then all of a sudden she's like Teehee, Austin, you're awesome. You're so funny. Come have champagne with me. Mm-hmm. And then there's the scene where, like, the moment where she's trying to come on to him because I guess she, her mother convinced her that she should like him. Like, that's my best guess for why she has suddenly made this shift because she's she's like, kiss me, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, you're you're smashed. It wouldn't <laughs> be right. I'm not going to kiss you when you're drunk. Why did uh, that he became a gentleman right there? All of a sudden. <laughs> Right, even though he's been sexually harassing her nonstop for every moment up till this point. And she's like, no, I finally see what my mom was talking about. You're so funny. You're so charming. And it's like, where is this coming from? Like, the choice to make her make this shift after he's sexually harassed her nonstop is so frustrating. It's almost like, oh, maybe it's like, oh, maybe she needed to be told she was beautiful because <laughs> that's what set it off. It was so weird, <sighs> you know, in broad daylight. It's like he saw her in broad daylight for once outside. And he was just like, oh, my God, you're so beautiful. And she was like, oh, yes, night out on town. I, I, I don't yeah. Can't make sense of it. Then there's a little bit of time where, like, Austin has sex with a lot of vagina. Which, how could we not have brought that up sooner? I mean, that, well, that's an obvious, like parody for the pussy galore character from whatever bond film that is but like but again it's it's, like what is the commentary i think it's just kind of doing it again right exactly for sure she's like the she's the femme fatale but her name is even somehow goofier than pussy galore like they're just (laughs) there's no commentary there it just is you gotta be smarter than what you're trying to make fun of (laughs) exactly and this movie is not but you know, he has sex with her and then Vanessa's like, well, gee whiz, if you want us to have a relationship, you got to get it through your head that the times have changed. This is the 90s because I guess now she wants a relationship and it's like, OK, all of a sudden they're in a relationship. That was I don't... OK. I thought I had missed something, too. I was like, no, because she you didn't. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, wait, did I like black? Like what? And then she it's that classic move that movies do and by classic I mean bad where mm-hmm. they're they're like oh she's at the top of her field she's really good at her job and then we kind of see that happen like one time but then for the most part she just becomes the love interest and she is like I'm a little bit jealous and you're like oh my fucking god like it's a bad look for everyone like she yeah they're not in a relationship but then no. when she says that they are he's like oh we are and then it just gets confusing You almost feel like there's like a missing scene there or something. Totally. Where like she has completely come around, which like, why would she? But of course, the movie makes her make the choice to 
come around and then suddenly they're in a relationship and then cut to the end and they are married Mm -hmm. um and then cut to the following movie the spy who shagged me that movie opens with austin powers discovering that his his wife Uh (laughs) vanessa was a fembot the whole time who tries to kill him and then she explodes you know, it's this whole thing where he's like, oh, wow, I can't believe my beautiful wife, the love of my life, was a fembot all along. Yeah. And then he's like, wait a minute, that means I'm single again. Yay! Yeah, and then... baby. Yeah, <laughs> wait, that too. what? It's... That's yes. how they solve? That's how they solve getting rid of her? Yes, exactly. Which, okay, so <laughs> I was like, maybe... Again, it's I guess it's sort of parody in terms of maybe it's satire. I don't know. It's I think the acknowledgement that like the Bond franchise and, and similar like action spy franchises treat women as though they are expendable and disposable because at the beginning of this movie, the main female character from the first movie is made to be evil for no reason and then killed off immediately. Right. But again, there's no commentary being offered here. Uh, it's just again participating in the same sexist trope. I have I have a question about that. Does that mean that Mrs. Kensington is also an evil person? Right. She was in on it, and that's not really her daughter. That was. It makes no sense. That was, an, and then I'm also like, why wouldn't they have frozen Mrs. Kensington? Like, right. yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me because she was like, in theory, Austin Powers is equal. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and after this happens in the sequel. Basil Exposition is like, yeah, we knew she was a fembot the whole time. And then like Austin Powers gives this weird look. And I guess that excuses the lack of narrative justification for why they killed her off. But it's just like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Right. You're just like, what? Huh? Um, but anyway, so back to the first movie. Um, <laughs> the Yes. Yeah, so the way that she is. I mean, it was just deplorable to see her be sexually harassed by him non-stop but then to also see her like secretly be like teehee i actually kind of like this right i mean it just sets up every bad precedent that like yes movies especially especially at a movie that like realistically was targeted at young men mm-hmm. like that is just every irresponsible thing you can do with a movie for young men is like mm-hmm. tell them it's okay to sexually harass people that, that this is what women actually want that women are to be viewed a certain way. Like it it comes down again to like the responsibility of like, I think Mike Myers thinks this is satire for Mm -hmm. them. I think like, and if that's the case, then it's like you carry a responsibility with that. You had like you, it drives me like up a wall when people suggest like, well, I don't actually need to take my audience into account when I make things. I make whatever mm-hmm. I want and blah, blah, blah. Where it's like, Mike Myers, you know your audience is like preteen, like it's kids mm-hmm. and like, or in, and young people. And like, you know, movies like this definitely have like a lasting impact, even though it seems goofy and stupid and mostly just something that annoying people quote still for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> But it does like have elastic effect on people, and it's like, yeah, if you, that was so that little giggle shot really killed me. I hate it. No, it it has it has a lasting effect on people because there are people out there who go, I am going to make money, dressing up like him, 
driving a car <laughs> just like him and doing and doing weird dinner parties because mm-hmm. I mean I guess you kind of have to look like the person you have to be practical about that too you can't just want to impersonate anybody right you have to have at least similar features so maybe you don't have a choice but you know maybe yeah maybe he was just he, he just looked already exactly like Austin Powers and he's like well I can make a career out of this and for the people who don't look like him they set up a, a pop-up bar in Glendale California <laughs> I liked seeing Carrie Fisher that was nice. Oh, I she deserves so much better. I know, I know I was like, but it was uh, like a bright spot. You're like, oh, well, there's someone here I like. This is mm-hmm. good. Uh, we've got to take a groovy little break, but we'll be right back, baby. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There is a chunk at the end that went a little better than I expected. It's not to say that it's good at all, but I was like, oh, this isn't as horrible as I was expecting it to be considering everything that's happened up till this point. <laughs> but um, at the end, both Vanessa and Austin are, they're like near Dr. Evil's secret layer, and they get captured and they are largely able to escape. This is when they're like surrounded by the like mutated sea bass or whatever. <laughs> they're able to escape largely because of all the dental equipment that she brought with her. 
then she goes and gets help and brings back an army. So she was more active than I was thinking. I was like, oh, she's probably just going to get like tied up and damseled and, and fridged. And that does I, happen yeah. a moment later when um, a, a lot of vagina is holding her hostage. But then Vanessa chops her and escapes on her own. She does not need to be saved by mm-hmm. Austin Powers. So I was like, right. okay, that's a little better than what I was expecting. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was like, the other thing I noticed about that scene too is like it was almost, I don't know how intentional it was, but it was a bit of an inversion of like how you would normally expect those scenes to go um, because she was actively being the action hero of the scene while Austin is trying to use his sexual wiles to get out of a situation. And I feel like normally you would see that dynamic in the reverse where like a woman has to seduce someone to get out of a compromising situation. We've seen that a billion, a hundred billion times. (laughs) One hundred billion times. (laughs) I mean, in that scene, at least Austin is the person that has to use his like sexual wiles to get out of Mm. a compromising situation. So it's not much, but it was better than like you're saying. It was like slightly better than what I was expecting. Right. But then that just means that all those fembots have to die. We see like... Oh, yes. We love to see a woman get punched or explode in this movie. (laughs) Yes. Because they couldn't handle a a man, you know, being so sexy. And with the fembots, it's like... I mean, honestly, like, I still think the aesthetic of the fembots is like kind of iconic. But that's just because that it's Barbarella. Mm -hmm. Um, And I you can draw a direct line from... Do you remember that... Katy Perry music video where she shoots out of her boobs thought of that well that's a brilliant commentary anyways uh the but the fembats are ultimately like this um you know they're they're carrying out I mean I guess that Frau Farbissina did invent them but they're ultimately like these sexy ladies that don't have names who are meant to carry out the wishes of Dr. Evil so not necessarily feminist icons Frau Farbissena, I think, is the best female character of the franchise. She's pretty much the only consistent one. Is she in all of them? She's in all of them. Oh, that's fine. Oh, cool. But she's not necessarily, you know, treated... I think the second movie, a joke is made at her expense where... So uh, Dr. Evil and Austin Powers go back in time to, I think, 1969. And that's where most of the movie takes place. So Dr. Evil, he's like, oh, wow, number two, you look so young and handsome in 1969. And he's literally played by Rob Lowe, (laughs) you know, one of the handsomest men alive. He's in a deleted scene from the first movie, too, I saw. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. So I guess he was there from the jump. I Hmm. guess, I mean, but he was in Wayne's World, too. So maybe him and Mike Myers are just like They're best friends. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. But anyway, so he... So number two gets to be played, like the young version of number two gets to be played by a very handsome actor, whereas the joke is made that she looks the, the same? Sa- exact same. She doesn't uh, get to be, I guess the joke is like, oh, she's, you know, pretty average looking no matter what decade it is. Well, I mean, there there is the good thing there, which is that Mindy Sterling is getting paid. Yes. There's no one in the second movie, it sounds like, that knows what happened to Natalie Wood. that's true that's true and just while we're on the second movie uh, a couple things to say about that uh, real quick that 
Heather Graham um, plays a character named Felicity Shagwell. She is the main female character and like um, ally to uh, Austin Powers. (laughs) She is shown as being extremely horny for Austin right from the jump. But the big obstacle of that movie is that he can't do anything about it because he's lost his mojo, which again might be slight commentary on what you were talking about earlier, Jamie, with like the masculinity aspect of this type of like you know british super spy yeah but like again i don't i don't know what they're trying to say with this the commentary it, it's con- the the audience of this movie is like i think a little bit jarring and confusing because it's like most people seeing this movie are and like quoting this movie are kids and teenagers who just based on the time the movie came out would have no like life understanding of what the movie is parodying. Mm -hmm. But then it's making all these references that seem to be for their parents, but that's not like, I'm sure parents are watching the movie, but not in the same like what it's just weird. It's just Mm -hmm. like, it's just kind of uncanny Valley. And like, I think Mike Myers is not making it for kids, but that's who's watching it. Right. And so any of (laughs) the intended commentary just gets completely lost. If there is any, I don't know. I wasn't alive in the sixties in England. I was. <laughs> <laughs> it is so interesting with that said, is that like the audience you weren't making it for are the fans and because they don't get the references, that means they're taking it at face value and actually liking that. I mean, no, I mean, yeah. not as a read at all on people who did watch it as kids and they liked it. Caitlin. Thank you. You know, but um, <laughs> it, it's it's so weird to it's kind of like some Sasha Baron Cohen movies where people who he's making fun of like it and they have no idea he's making fun of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. Be- because they're just like, oh, oh, oh sex jokes, oh, homo jokes or whatever, you know? And so they don't yeah. get that they're he's making fun of homophobia. <laughs> but right. um Wait, so how did he lose his mojo? Is it because he lost his wife and he's sad about oh, that? Oh, he, oh, I'd love to tell you. Nope, nothing like that. <laughs> oh. It is that the character Fat Bastard steals it from him. So, of course, we have Fat Bastard. This is one long fat shaming joke. One of the worst, if not the worst offender of a fat joke in movie history is the character Fat Bastard. He shows up again in the third movie as well. It is despicable. Similarly, I would argue that the mini-me character, many many jokes oh, are made right. at the expense of Vern Troyer and the, sure. his rest size and his body, rest in power. Um, so you have all these... This doesn't happen to a large degree in the first movie, but starting with the second movie of this trilogy there is all these jokes made at the expense of various people's bodies and and looks and things like that so that is obviously unacceptable the most important thing though about austin powers 2 (laughs) is that when they're tracking fat bastard at one point austin's like the signals come through he's at Paddington Station. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's forgiven. It's for <laughs> no, but there is the Paddington reference. Um, and if only this movie about a British person wearing a blue jacket was not about Austin Powers, it was instead about Paddington Bear. Yeah, 
if if I may, I think that maybe this. I don't know if this is this isn't really an Alfred Molina type movie. No, really. no, he would not set foot on that set. I don't think so. And even if he was offered a part, um, he was probably busy shooting his iconic part in Boogie Nights, which comes out the same year. <gasps> True. Oh, interesting. Y'all know a just lot. Just a thought. <laughs> mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. I just have his Wikipedia page open at all times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then as far as like Austin Powers 3, this is the one I'm least familiar with. I only saw it once, but there's the just... The Beyonce one. The Beyonce one. Uh, there's a whole slew of racist jokes throughout the movie. Is she his love interest? She, um, She's like his like spy partner. I don't think they ever have any sort of... I don't remember. I think they do kiss at the end. I think, yeah, but it's not quite, it's not quite framed the same way as it is in the first two movies. I hate that Beyonce had to kiss Mike Myers. But then I would also be pissed if he had no interest in Beyonce at all, you know? Right. That would also be racist. (laughs) Right? Like, oh, oh, is it because she's black, you know? Right. Right. Well, yeah. We've talked about that a lot in recent episodes of like, this especially in this era like a resistance to showing any interracial couples on screen right and how like it sometimes gets confused even by us at certain points of like oh that's cool that they didn't force a love interest and and then like i mean it was when we were talking about bad boys right right right. that it was like oh well that was because in this time it wasn't that they were doing something feminist it's that they were doing something racist (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah i got it totally yes if if memory serves they do share they are like flirting a lot throughout the movie and they do share a kiss at the end but he is not trying to shag the whole time not trying to shag her relentlessly in a harassy way again as far as i I was like watching it like in the middle of the night so who knows what my memory is doing but Mm. either way none of these movies are good and they're all treat women terribly (laughs) Yay. <laughs> Yay. Also, I mean, just because we referenced it at the top of the episode, this movie, this trip, I mean, I th- are all three directed by Jay Roach, Caitlin? Oh, I believe they are. Yes. So Jay Roach, okay, so this is like one of my least favorite trends in recent movie history. I hate it so much. We've talked about it before on the Matreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this whole, like trend of men who directed incredibly offensive broad 90s and early 2000s comedies getting this second act now directing movies that are supposed to be feminist or like or i guess progressive in general where you have the farrelly brothers with green book which is a trash movie that won a ton of uh oscars or mm-hmm. you have i mean for but and jay roach directed bombshell which was supposed yeah. to be the <gasps> feminist movie of the 2019 movie season it wasn't it didn't make any fucking sense and it wasn't very good but this the fact that like these prestige projects that like are about women and people of color and they're just being given to these guys that did these outwardly like their whole resume is like Across the board, Jay Roach's resume is sexist, sexist, sexist. Why? I didn't say that right any of the three times. <laughs> no, understood. <laughs> but, 
but like but the, but then they're like yeah you know what he should get an opportunity to direct a movie about misogyny in the workplace like mm. on what fucking ground it just it, whoa you're blowing my mind right now i had no idea that's wow that this is the this is how the system gets recycled over and over. Of course, it's the people who were here first, and it's dudes like him. Mm-hmm. And of course, they were, in the times that was what? What? That's so fucked up. He's the one who directed Bombshell. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're not getting new talent. No, it, it, it's like of all the. I mean, uh, of all the stories that needed to be directed by a, wo- a woman, and then also like why we are like, oh, the first Me Too movie is about like women on fox news like all right but (laughs) for sure so it's like shitty on a number of levels but if you want to tell that story why hand that to the director of all three austin powers just like on what fucking grounds does that make sense well uh jamie because he also directed meet the parents and meet the fockers Uh (laughs) uh-huh i I like i don't i've ever i mean i i don't know anything about this man personally but you just like on on paper and on like the resume translating to that it just makes no sense and it just Mm -hmm. is like it seems like a slap in the face to female filmmakers as a whole Yes. Oh my God. I wonder what side by side the scenes from Fembots. If there are any scenes in Bombshell that kind of like side by side. I'm just thinking it's like three <laughs> three blonde women. You know, three blonde women. There were six blonde Fembots. You know, like if if it's like there's some like shot to shot storyboard like similar. I don't know. I wonder if he used that as a pitch, you know, like, oh, this is a scene from Austin Powers. Okay, so I'm picturing, you know, how the fembots were like this. This is how the girls in Bombshell are going to be standing. It's kind of like this. Yeah. (laughs) So that's a not very fun fact. My my the only fact I could find about this movie that was fun was that scene i mean there's like those two scenes that have those extended uh visual jokes about dicks and boobies yeah. because this movie's mm. for nine-year-olds mm-hmm. um <laughs> but whatever I and mean, what if what uh, I, okay hilarious thought jamie had while watching the movie oh, please, what yes. if you watch the end and it was like cinematography roger deakins <laughs> just a what if Roger Deakins literally orchestrated those boobies and pee-pee shots? Anyways, um, well, it's not him, but that would be really funny if that was Roger Deakins. Anyways, um, <laughs> that scene, that last scene with all the melons and the boobies and all the whole booby thing, yeah, yeah, that is shot at the Scientology Celebrity Center. What? Oh. Isn't that weird? <laughs> what? Okay, hold on. There's just too many things. My mind needs to calm down. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna explode like like one of the f- fembots. Wait, okay. Wait, everything's wrong with everything. Everything's very wrong. <laughs> Hold on, I need to um, I need to calm down. Wait, breathe. I okay. So everything about this movie is reminding me of just everything wrong with like the 90s not just 90s. It's like very incel from like the judo chop to now Scientology. It's uh, this is all very like toxic incel shit. You know what? Well, also, because for some reason, like every guy loser who is like who gets toxic about not getting um, laid gets really into like martial arts, too. And so every time. (laughs) No, for real. It's like, um, uh, you know, Putin is like a black belt. You know what I mean? It's always like weird, evil people. Uh, it's always like evil dudes like who are like not getting laid and like 
you know, are angry about it. Um, that get really into, so like the references to judo freak me out too like judo chop you know in Austin Powers yeah 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 because I was like everything wow. like the obsession with Japan you know obsession with boobies dumb sex jokes and poop jokes and uh, I mean the Scientology I, I can't explain right now but <laughs> like did they just offer it I don't know I guess yeah <laughs> well, it was a free Everything else seemed kind of like they could shoot it for pretty low budge. I mean, the UN was just like a dark room, right? Like the background was just black. Right. I think the first movie had a sixteen point five million dollar budget, which is yeah, not it's pretty low. Pretty for, low for uh, a studio comedy at like action comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how much that budget goes up between the first and the second one. Ooh, I have it right here. It uh pretty much doubles for okay. the spy who shagged me, and then that again nearly doubles for the third movie. Um, these movies grossed. The first one didn't do super well. Not super uh, well. It, it, it was a success, but I I read that part of the reason it didn't do well is it didn't do well in England because it came out right after Princess Di passed away, and mm. no one was fucking with it at that time because i think that they were really banking on it being very successful in england as well but uh-huh. everyone in england was bummed out yeah sure. um i'm seeing two different figures here and i don't know exactly which one is which so i'll just say the lower one to be safe but worldwide these movies the trilogy uh, grossed about 675 million dollars um, as a trilogy across the world so uh, you're like you're like the people were sad about princess diana's death and they knew watching the movie would not make them feel better and so they just (laughs) just avoided it pretty much i don't know does anyone have any other final thoughts i can't wait to do another mike myers uh movie Oh yeah, you gotta. <laughs> what do you do? You want to come back for um? So I married an axe murderer or whatever the fuck that movie is. Sure, I I haven't seen that. Our our number one request. Most people haven't. Um, yeah. Well, next time we'll have you on for a movie that you actually want to talk yeah. about. <laughs> so. We've punished you long enough. No, no, no. It's fine. I, look, I have we have time right now. I ha- I have time right now. I was like, yeah, I'll revisit Austin Powers. We appreciate it. Yes. Uh, let's figure out if the movie passes the Bechdel test. No, no it doesn't. I, I had my fingers crossed for when Vanessa and her mother were talking, but they only talked about fucking Austin Powers. So, yes. Yeah. I think that's the only time women interact in the entire movie. Because, like, Frau so. Farbissina does not interact with her fembots. And they don't have names, for sure. And they don't have names. Right. Um, yeah. I th- it may be a lot of vagina when she's, like, kidnapping um, <laughs> Vanessa. But I don't, I don't know if they talk either. We didn't see that conversation. Yeah. No. I don't think this movie passes the Bechdel test. No, I don't think so. No. And if it does, it shouldn't. Right. <laughs> Unless the sea bass, the mutated sea bass, were all female fish and they talked, but we didn't see it. There better be a deleted scene where that happens. And if not, I'm going to be <laughs> pissed. Let's rate it on our nipple scale. Zero to five nipples based on its representation of women. I think I'm going to just go ahead and give this zero nipples. I'm give it a zero as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give it a concaved nipple. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, everything about it is despicable. Uh, it does not get any better as the franchise goes forward. There was an opportunity to provide meaningful commentary on this type of like spy action franchise uh, because, uh, I mean, we talked about one of the Bond movies so far yeah. on the podcast, um, and it was one of the more recent ones, and it's still... Oh, God, do we have to talk about another one? No, well, the, so I, I was like, oh, we can do Austin Powers, because originally um, the newest Bond installment was supposed to come out in early April, but oh, everything's, right. you know, not being released in theaters. So that's why I was like, oh, let's do a, a, an Austin Powers movie instead. So that's why we're releasing this episode now. You know, but, all um... <laughs> of our plans have fallen to shit, but it's actually fine. Yeah. It's Mulan fine. didn't come out, but our episode did. So basically it came out. Basically Mulan came yeah, out. Yeah, and look, whatever. Uh, oh, by the way, I wanted to, before we leave, I said concave nipple, not to body shame, but because it's like a negative nipple. Oh, oh, so yes, it's pointing inwards. So yeah, what yeah, I meant was for that. it's uh, it, it's a negative one. Got it. God, I think I've lost the ability to really like form sentences because <laughs> no, honestly, I haven't seen people. And so, I know. Anyway, it's, thank it's you for really having hard. me on. That would yeah. be my. That's my last thought. <laughs> uh, we're we're so glad to to have had you. Thank you so much for being here. And Anatsuko, uh, what would you like to? plug and where can people follow you online and check out your stuff you can just find me at otsuko comedy a-t-s-u-k-o comedy that's where i'm at oh yeah and check out let's go otsuko the podcast and the live show and the future quibi show yes and the future quibi yes uh coming to your phone (laughs) (laughs) so we'll see you know yeah we'll see what happens it's coming it's coming yes can't wait and you can follow us on all the places twitter instagram patreon aka matreon is five dollars a month and it gets you two bonus episodes of the podcast every single month that's at patreon.com slash bechtelcast and our t public store uh tpublic.com slash the bechtelcast has all of your merch needs and um without much further ado yeah, baby. Shagadelic or something. <laughs> horny. Horny. With <laughs> that, horny. Uh, bye. 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 Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at first first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. 
Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 